You know, Christmas time is one of the most profitable times for psychiatrists and counselors. There are more attempted suicides, there is more depression, there are more family explosions than just about any other time of year. And we don't, as a society, talk about it too much, but uh, there is an underlying depression, kind of a core lack of peace. As a culture, we try to, to escape this by a glut of buying hoping that the joy of presence, the joy of decorations, the joy of music and lights can mask that lack of peace. But the fact is, in reality, that's just a very superficial covering for that underlying lack of peace. You know, how ironic this is when we remember that Christmas is the celebration of the coming of peace. But where is it? Where is that peace? And I don't just want to talk about statistics and society. What about you and me? Where is our peace? And we get so busy at Christmas time. There is so much to do, so much pressure, so much expectations. Where is our peace? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the shepherds and the announcement that the angels... Uh, made to the shepherds, you know, when they were out feeding or tending their flock, all of a sudden the sky was filled with angels shouting glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The question I want to start with is, is this false advertising? Were the angels guilty of false advertising? You know, I have no problem with the glory to God part, but the peace on earth. It would be hard to convince somebody in Bosnia, Rwanda, Chechnya that peace has come to earth. And again, what about our lives? Where is the peace? You know, Christmas time is fun, but a peaceful time. You kind of got to be kidding. There's no time for peace. And there are no families in which everything is peaceful. So we deal in our own lives with that question. If Christmas is a time of celebration of the coming of peace, where is it? If the angels were telling the truth when they announced that peace had come to earth, where is it? Well, let's back up and take a look at the shepherds and uh, what happened. Let me read our our passage from Luke 2, starting with verse 8. I'm going to read 2, 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, 
they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay, shepherds were typically kids who had rough lives. Often when we think of a shepherd, we think of a man with a full beard, kind of idyllically sitting among his sheep in a nice, beautiful, cool, green pasture, kind of a Henry David Thoreau type. But in those days, shepherds were most often kids who had terrible home lives. They came from homes where where perhaps the parents couldn't afford to raise the kid, or, or maybe even the parents had died. So the boys were hired out as child labor, to be shepherds, to be out in the field at night living with the sheep, taking care of the sheep. These kids were often exploited and used. They were carelessly treated. They had few rights legally. They couldn't even be uh, witnesses in court cases because just the fact that they were shepherds was enough to discredit their testimony. I mean, they're, they're poor trash. Who's going to listen to them? Who, who's going to believe what they say? The religious community treated them and viewed them as unclean and unfit. They were outcasts. So here are these... Uh, group of kids. What a hard life. They grew up on the wrong side of town. They had no breaks. They were living out in the fields, working instead of going to school, separated from their parents if they even had any parents. You know, life was rough. And here comes these angels telling them about peace. Now, what peace had these kids ever known? Their home life wasn't a place of peace. Otherwise, they wouldn't be out there. They would never have had to leave. Their work wasn't a place of peace. They were there to sleep with the sheep so that when wild animals came, they could defend them. So they're out there sleeping, waiting for wild animals to come. How terrifying. Society wasn't a place of peace for them. They were Abused, misused, uh, uh, treated with contempt, suspicion. See, where is their peace? Now this angel shows up in the middle of the night, right in the middle of their camp, scares the bejeebers out of them. They were terrified, we're told. I remember one night camping with uh, my family. We're in a nice little campground in a tent, and we hear this crash in the middle of the night. And we hear something rummaging around trying to get into our food cooler. And I was sure there was a thousand pound grizzly right out there. You know, we're all wide eyed. And I kind of start to unzip the corner of the tent to peek out. And there was this little black and white skunk <laughs> working his way through the camp. And I quietly zipped him back up and hoped he stayed happy until he left camp. <laughs> but imagine this group of kids sleeping on the ground. And all of a sudden, there's this guy in the middle of them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Man, of course they were scared. The angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. 
Now, kind of as an aside, I can't resist pointing out that God has always had a place in his heart for shepherds. His heart has always been for them. He loves them. He likes them. God has always loved poor, tough street kids. Now, he cares about the crack babies. He's always had a place in his heart for the inner city kids who are just trying to make it in a world full of horror. You see, God has always had a place in his heart for those who've had it rough. And here he honors them above all others. He comes to them first with the news. Tells them what has happened. See, that's the way God is. He constantly confronts our prejudice, our way of thinking. He chooses the, the kind of uh, disposable people. The people we view as just a drain on society. He chooses the uneducated and the powerless to confound the wise and the influential. And to the degree that we are wise or influential, he confronts our prejudice. This angel tells them that he's bringing great news that will bring joy. He says, a Savior has been born to us, Christ the Lord. Christ has come. The one who would save us from our sins, from the the emptiness inside, from the blindness to what really matters in life. The one who would bring peace had come. As soon as the angel uh, finishes this announcement, suddenly the sky is just filled with angels, praising God, shouting His glory. And I think the contrast between the response of heaven and the response of earth is dramatic. You know, on earth, um, nobody much notices. Other than a a handful of scared kids, nobody sees it happen. But in heaven, where things are seen as they are, the rejoicing is unstoppable. I get the feeling that these angels are crowded around the opening to heaven, watching, listening. And as soon as the announcement's made, they can't be restrained. They elbow and burst their way through, fill the sky, shouting, Glory to God in the highest. They're, they're worshiping God. Gloria a Dios. God is glorious. God has shown His incredible love by sending His Son. God has shown His awesome wisdom by a simple yet unimaginably profound plan. Glory to God in the highest. God has shown His love for men by uh, His his goodwill to them. He's sent them peace. God loves people and He has just proved it. He sent the Prince of Peace, the one who brings peace between God and man, brings peace in the inner man, brings peace between people. You see, the the grip of rebellion against God has been broken. The grip of misery, dissatisfaction has been broken. The grip of selfishness and competitiveness between people has been broken, all because this little baby has been born. The angels see the implications of this, and they are overwhelmed. Mankind, with our blind eyes, sees only with those blind eyes and is underwhelmed. That's the way it is on earth. That which is is truly important gets overlooked 
for that which makes noise or causes commotion. We're told in uh, Scripture that any time a single sinner repents, heaven explodes with the rejoicing of the angels. On earth, nobody notices. It never makes the six o'clock news. See, again, that's the way it is here on earth. That when we read a story like this, we begin to kind of with squinting eyes form a picture of reality, of what is real, what's really important. And what is really important is exciting. What is real is exciting. Let's finish our story. The shepherds, simple, uneducated folk that they are, they don't question the reality of what they've been told. They just immediately run to Bethlehem to see what's happened. They want to see this great event. There they find Jesus, exactly as they had been told. They're excited. Having seen Jesus, they are no longer these kind of quiet, unseen outcasts of society. They tell everybody they see. These are the first evangelists. Not because they've been to uh, an evangelism course and are all pumped up about their responsibility to witness, but because they've seen reality and they can't keep the joy of it to themselves. They're too excited. We're told that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. You know, what an encouragement this must have been to her. Here, she and Joseph are sitting in this dark, dank stable, wondering what's going on. In in bursts this gang of excited kids talking about angels and the glory of God. What a gift their excitement must have been to her. Mary has the right response. She treasures these things in her heart. She doesn't immediately try to go fix everything, make everything right. She doesn't run out in the street and demand everybody worship her new baby as Lord. She doesn't even try to figure it all out, make it all fit in her mind. She just kind of stores these things quietly, calmly, watching God, waiting, trusting Him and His plan. Now, how much we would gain from being like her, quietly watching what God is doing thinking about what God is doing, rather than running out and doing ourselves. Let's get back to the shepherds and to my original question about uh, whether the angels were guilty of false advertising. Now we're told that the shepherds returned praising God, uh, filled with joy. But what did they return to? Well back out into those fields where the wild animals were, back to being society's outcasts, to being used and exploited. Where is their peace? Had anything really changed for the shepherds? And the angels announced peace on earth. But what was this peace that they announced? The Bible talks a lot about peace. In fact, it's one of the most common words in the Bible. Paul starts virtually all of his letters with a reference to peace. In fact, it's hard to find any book in the Bible that doesn't have something to say about peace. Peace is one of the most fundamental, basic needs and desires of humanity. Peace was, uh, during the 60s, a watchword of a generation. You know, peace, brother. The pursuit of peace 
drives mankind. See, the pursuit of peace is what drives materialism. There's a delusion that if I can only get enough wealth, then I will have peace and security. Or it's the confusion that that good feeling that you get when you have something new is really a form of peace. The quest for peace is what drives drug abuse, chemical addictions, mistaking the uh, oblivion or the temporary euphoria with forms of peace. The quest for peace is what uh, drives the plunge into sexual sin, sexual perversion, mistaking that false intimacy with, with a form of temporary peace. It drives a television addiction. Mistaking inactivity and, and escape with peace. It drives the uh, psychological industry in America. Always seeking peace. The world offers all kinds of counterfeits. It says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But the kind of peace that Scripture offers is a different it's a lasting peace. It's a peace that's not contingent on external circumstances. In John, Jesus is quoted as saying, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So the peace that Jesus gives is different than the kind the world gives. But what, again, what is it? Well, like I said, there are literally hundreds of references to peace in the Bible. I, I uh, counted 251. So we don't have time to look at them all. We don't have time to even look at all the different angles and, and implications. But let me give you a, a, a very basic understanding of the biblical concept of peace. First of all, peace in Scripture is primarily objective. It is not subjective. In other words, the peace in Scripture is not primarily a feeling. Now, there are feelings that come out of peace, but that's not the core understanding of the concept of, of biblical peace. Peace is objective. Now, Scripture describes three basic arenas or venues for peace. There's peace with God. There's peace with oneself. There's peace with others. And even though it may sound like it, none of these is primarily a subjective peace. None of these is primarily a feeling. Not even peace with oneself. You see, in Scripture, peace with oneself refers initially to no longer being at war with how you were created to be. The, 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 the presence of sin in our lives, in our world, in our characters, causes us to think and act and respond in ways that are essentially at war with the way God creates, created us. It makes us do things that, that cause us to be in conflict in opposition to ourselves, to act in ways that are destructive to ourselves. And the biblical concept of peace with oneself is the objective reality that in Christ 
we are no longer at war with ourselves. We are restored to God's design for us, to who he planned us to be. The word righteousness is a word that you hear sometimes in churches. The word at its most basic meaning, the first definition you'll find in a lexicon is, in a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. Who is as he ought to be. Who is no longer in conflict with how God designed him. And in scripture, righteousness and peace go together. Psalm 85 says, righteousness and peace kiss. They're inextricably linked. They come together. You can't take them apart. You can't have one without the other. Now there's often a feeling of peace that comes from living in a way that is consistent. Thinking in a way that is consistent with how God designed us to be. Often, it feels peaceful. But people, probably almost as often, it doesn't. Often, there is a, a, a strong internal conflict in choosing to do the right thing. In the face of our, our sinful habits and patterns that we've developed over the years, sometimes there's a profound emotional struggle to do what is right and what is healthy. It, it disrupts our tranquility. It causes us problems. See, when we are choosing to do the right thing, the thing that is consistent with the way God created us, sometimes we feel anything but peace. Now again, those peaceful feelings may follow, and I'm convinced eventually they will, but the immediate Feelings may be anything but peace. And this is so important because so many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking, if, if I feel peace about it, it must be right. I have had people tell me to my face that, that an adulterous relationship must be right because they feel peace about it. They feel such peace with this person. I've had people say that they don't feel like they need to give money that they've embezzled back because they feel peace about keeping it. People, this is the world's form of peace. This is a trap. Biblical peace is objective. Biblical peace is found in being who God created us to be, in listening to God and obeying Him and doing the right thing even when it absolutely destroys our internal sense of peace. Psalm 119, 165 said, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. But let's move on. I, I didn't want to get distracted into covering all the different kinds of peace, because I really do want to focus on the, the heart of it, the primary kind of peace, the, the most basic, the one from which all the rest flow. That is peace with God. It is the most fundamental, essential peace for humans. Without this, there is no peace. And again, peace with God is primarily objective peace, not subjective, not a feeling. There are many who feel 
that subjective peace with God, who have no true relationship with Him. All the religions of the world offer this kind of peace. And many who follow these other religions feel peace with God. But there is no objective peace. Many who who ignore who God is and what God says say, I feel peace with God. But again, there is no objective peace. See, and that brings us back to Christmas. That little baby in the manger that, that the angels announced, that the shepherds saw, he came to give us true objective peace. He came to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could know true peace with God. When we accept that little baby now grown as our Savior, we have peace with God, objectively, whether you feel it or not. It's there. He loves you. He is delighted with you. He is committed to you as His children. Scripture tells us, as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the power to become children of God. That is the objective reality of true peace. In Christ and through Him, you are at peace with God. It's a fact, not a feeling. And you may feel it, you may not, but He loves you. He's delighted with you. He's committed to you. He respects you. He values you. He treats you as important, as significant. See, humanity hungers to be important to someone, to be significant, to be respected, to be secure. These things can only be found in peace with God. Now, peace with God doesn't mean our circumstances become peaceful or tranquil. Um, when we have peace with God, doesn't mean our circumstances improve at all. Maybe they get worse. Maybe they, they just stay as hard and as painful as they have been. Now see, peace with God does not mean our circumstances will necessarily change, but we will. We will have peace with God. We will have that peace in our lives. We will know the peace with ourselves that comes from no longer being at war with ourselves, with living for what we were created. We were created for relationship with God. And we will have it objectively. We will know peace with others as God begins to love them through us objectively. Now again, it may not feel peaceful when we love people honestly sometimes there there are no feelings of peace there's conflict as we lovingly speak the truth and they resent it or when we refuse to go along with something that they want to do that is wrong but we will objectively be loving them no longer doing things that are damaging and destructive learning to act toward them in a selfless way see when Jesus made peace with God on the cross. He broke the power of sin in our lives and He gives us peace in every area. Objective peace. See, that baby brought 
true peace. Now I want to get back to Christmas before my time is gone. Why is Christmas time so stressful? Well, because there are so many expectations on us. There are so many pressures that our culture puts on us to, uh, you know, to, to send all those cards out at Christmas time, to have a, the, the beautiful tree, the nice one, the one that doesn't have big holes in it, that you, you know, that just has the perfect shape and the, all the decorations, all the pressure on us, the expectation on us to, to find the perfect gift, to, to cook the perfect feast, to have the perfect family enjoying the perfect day. This isn't reality. We're, we're, we're pursuing an illusion. So much of our stress at Christmas time comes from a, a deep hunger to be acceptable, to be respected, to meet expectations. Well, see, the reality is when we have peace with God, when we have His love, we already have these things. He values us. He respects us. He loves us. And we may want these things from our family, from our spouse, from our children, from our friends. But if we really listen to what God says, we don't need it from them. We have what we need in God's love. We don't have to live up to others' expectations. You see, everyone else has expectations and, and, and requirements for us to live up to in order to gain their approval. Quite honestly, those expectations and demands are often in conflict with each other. You can't meet this person's without not meeting this person. You just can't do it all. You can't meet them all. But God doesn't expect anything from you. He's got what he wants. He has you. Just the way you are. Doing nothing. Just being yourself. God is delighted with you. He's looking at you with a smile on his face. He's inviting you to climb up on his lap and let him hug you. You know, if you did absolutely nothing to prepare for Christmas, you didn't uh, send a single card, didn't to hang a single light, didn't buy a single present. If you just wake up Christmas morning and say, Good morning, God, He will greet you with a laugh of delight. Think about that first Christmas. There was no tree in a the manger. There were no lights hanging from it. They didn't do anything. They were just there, receiving God's gift of His Son, receiving His love. And that's the starting place. And that's the only real source of strength and peace for any of us. Receiving God's love. That's a peace that can't be taken away from us. That's a peace that, that, that Jesus purchased for us with His blood. He took away every sin. Everything that could interfere with God loving us is gone. So when you start to feel overwhelmed or inadequate... Stop wherever you are, in the mall, at home, you know, right here, right now. And in your mind's eye, climb up on God's lap. Let Him hug you. Ignore those feelings of unworthiness by faith. That simply means trusting Him, really believing that He does love you. Thank Him for that love. 
Rest in that love. Bathe in it. Luxuriate in it. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, peace with God is an objective fact. If you are in Christ, you have it. But those feelings of peace, that subjective peace that this verse is actually talking about, is a gift that you can receive or reject as a gift. You can take it or leave it. Trust Him. Take it. See what... uh, No, now back to the, the, the shepherds and the angels. Were the angels guilty of false advertising? Not at all. Had anything really changed for the shepherds? Absolutely. Look again at at verse 20. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Exactly as they had been told. You see what overwhelmed the shepherds with joy and praise was that the things that they had seen and heard were exactly as they had been told. See, God could be believed. God could be trusted. There was nothing in these young men's lives that would suggest that God cared up to this point. There was nothing in their lives that would suggest that God would ever come through with all of His promises to send a Savior, to send a Redeemer, to send the One who would shepherd His people. Micah 5, God speaks of Jesus whom he would send. And he says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be their peace. See, God had fulfilled his promises. God had sent the one who would be our peace. God had sent The one who would shepherd. And these young shepherds longed for a shepherd. Someone who would take care of them. See, God cares. God can be trusted. God can be believed. And that believing God is what scripture calls faith. Faith opens the door to peace with God. These shepherds now had peace with God and nothing would ever be the same again. Believe God. In Christ you have peace with God. Trust Him. Enjoy it. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Emmanuel, the Lord is with us. That baby is our peace. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that... Your favor rests on us. There is no other way for us to be saved 
There is no other way for us to begin to, to, to move toward who you created us to be, to stop destroying ourselves and people around us. Lord, so often we don't feel the peace, but we thank you that that peace with you is a fact, that you love us, that nothing impedes that love. You are constantly loving us, whether we feel it or not, whether we respond to it or not. Lord, we want to believe you. You do exactly what you say. When those shepherds found the baby Jesus, it was exactly as they have been told. It was exactly as the prophets predicted, as you told the prophets to say. And now as we contemplate the reality that you love us, that you so loved us that you sent your Son to die for us. May we believe you so that our experience might match the objective reality of the peace that Jesus came to purchase. We don't want to treat that lightly. We don't want to treat that with contempt. We want to look at that honestly, hold tightly to it, Follow you in obedience, dependence, letting you change us to be just like that baby. But again, we just thank you for your word, the way you call us back to peace. As we face the uh, last preparation for Christmas, help us to be able to let go of the expectations we place on ourselves, to worship you, to just stop, climb up in your lap, let you love us. Thank you for the joy of celebration. Thank you for the busyness around Christmas, for the fun it is to be together, to eat together, to buy presents, to hang decorations. But Lord, may we never get so consumed in that that we lose sight of the peace that you've given us. Make us people of peace who become peacemakers to all around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.